Welcome to Counterpressed on The Ringer and Spotify. It's Monday. I'm in the studio with Jilly Flatty and Jesse Parker Humphreys. Jilly, yet another TV appearance for you on Sunday. Every week we've got to talk about a new bit on the telly. Um, halftime feature on the BBC Sport coverage of Chelsea Arsenal in the FA Cup. But I want to ask you about the end of the game because before we started recording, you were telling me about how your partner Lil wanted to make a quick exit, but you worried you worried she was going to fall down the stairs <laughs> at Kings Meadows. So you said, Lil, you can't get up now. You've got to wait to full time whistle. So yeah, so basically from like the seventieth minute, she was like, "Can we go?" It was very, it was very cold. It was freezing. It was yeah. really cold, and the game was sort of wrapped the game up. Was not yeah. like there was no, there was nothing really coming from Arsenal. So. I was sitting there and I was like, oh, like, obviously there was Beth Mead, uh, Mead Mulder on the front row as well. And then there was like Katie Chapman and all that on the left-hand side. And I was just like, oh, I've got to walk past everybody. <laughs> and then she, she was like, oh, come on, please, it's freezing. And then I was like, no, because one of us is going to fall down them stairs. And <laughs> They're not she, particularly treacherous. Why were you so no, worried? No, no, right. So the reason being because we went to the cinema not long ago and we was like, there weren't many people in the cinema, luckily, but we was at the very back. We had our little niece and nephew with us. And What were you watching? Oh, oh that's, this is when a new Toy Story came out. Toy, Toy Story. So okay. it was a while ago. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, really it felt like yesterday. Don't yeah. <laughs> so, go to the cinema very much. <laughs> Clearly. We go like once a year, if that. Um, so we was at the back row and then Lil needed to go to the toilet. So she went. <laughs> oh. I lost her. I couldn't tell you where she was. I lost her. She fell downstairs. <laughs> and then she got <laughs> And walked out, and then when she come back, she was so fuming, like it was my fault. She fell down the stairs, and then we went for a Chinese not long ago, and she fell up the stairs. So she don't really have a great experience. So she's, quite, right. she's quite clumsy by the sounds of it. Yeah, and I think thinking of it, she was like, "I'm gonna go, I'm gonna fall." And I went, "If you fall, I can't save you. I'm gonna have to act like I do not know you." So you even risk Katie it. Katie Chapman and Ben Mead and my will be watching you. I won't be able to come and pick you up. Like there's no chance of it happening. So then she was like, "I'm even tempted to jump." over the wall which was the other side because <laughs> she was so desperate to get up and go she just wanted to go sit in yeah. the car and be warm but she didn't we stayed we debated it for a good 20 minutes do we do it do we don't how are we going to get past everyone and we stayed to the, the full, highs full and lows whistle. of being a wag it really is it's extreme so it's you, funny. you come to the place where Julie's a hero the fans <laughs> are singing her name but don't you dare fall down the stairs and embarrass her at King's Meadow that would have been yeah. the moment where the BBC did the shot <laughs> Lil just been face flat down the stairs and I dropped a mint on the floor yeah and it literally skidded in between the seats and I was like to Lil you're going to be like that mint you're going to fly down them stairs also we have to ask you because the last time you were meant to have your kind of like welcome back game and celebration was the game that got called off the Chelsea Liverpool game and you didn't get any food did you get a hot meal this time? No I didn't because we got stuck on the biggest car park in the world which is the M25 so we got there like 10-2 and then we're panicking because then I'm like a bit like I don't like going in late to the cinema yeah same I don't like going in late when the film started yeah so I was like 10 to I'll have a quick wee and then we've got to go and sit in our seats <sighs> so we didn't have nothing so next time will hopefully be the time that you actually get a hot meal yeah and then I went to Lil at half time go in and get something to eat yeah then she's like I'm not going in there on my own so she sat in the seat the whole time while I was on the BBC and then it kicked off again for the second half and I come back so well I think your appearance at half time got great reviews we were me and Jessie were at the game so we yeah. could watch it but, but my girlfriend said your hair looked lovely so <laughs> <Did she>? yeah <laughs> 
<laughs> it must be good lighting. Go. Like, it's like hairspray. Uh, Jesse and I also had parking issues, traffic issues. I know, so I had we to park can, at Norberton train station. Yeah, we can uh, relate as well. But um, yeah, what, what way to start <laughs> the show? Um, on today's show, we're going to chat about obviously that game between Chelsea and Arsenal in the fifth round of the FA Cup. We're going to talk about Sam Kerr's ridiculous goal-scoring record. We're not quite sure the actual numbers, but we think we know. But it's classic, classic women's football uh, stat issues. We'll get into that. Uh, we're also going to talk about what is next for Arsenal this season because ooh, times are tough over in North London. We're also going to be discussing, of course, the situation in France as Wendy Renard announced she will not be playing for France at the World Cup. And two teammates, Kadadutu Diani and Marie Antoinette Katoto, also followed suit with news that they won't be playing. So we're going to talk about what is going on there. What does it mean for the French team moving forward? I'm sure lots of listeners might know about some of the drama in the past surrounding the French women's national team. So let's get into it after this. Right, that Chelsea-Arsenal game at Kings Meadow. Jesse, you were nervous, actually, from a Chelsea perspective going into this. And I feel like I spent a lot of last week saying, honestly, you have nothing to worry about. <laughs> Arsenal are not in a great place at the moment. Were your, and actually maybe early on, those fears could have come true when Frieden Marnham had that chance that AKB just tipped over the bar, brilliant save. But after that, were you feeling pretty confident? Yeah, actually, by the time I got to Kings Meadow, I was with my brother. He's an Arsenal fan. And I think we both kind of felt like the game was a bit of a free hit for both teams in that I think there's a feeling where if you get knocked out in the fifth round, it doesn't feel like as big, maybe as if in later stages. And I was kind of like, would it be the worst thing in the world if Chelsea didn't have like that quarterfinal game? But then when it game started, I was like, I really want to win. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think... I've got a bit of a weird view of this game because I was behind the goal Chelsea were attacking for the first half, which I think... The goal Sophie Ingle scored. Scored in. Yeah. So I think I felt more cash than other Chelsea fans who I've spoken to who watched the game on telly and I think felt like really like rocky in the in the mm. first half. Whereas I felt like... I thought Arsenal had good chances, but I think it felt like a lot more even compared to the game at the Emirates, say, or even actually the FA Cup semi-final, which was also after an international break, where um, last season where I felt like both times Arsenal just came out a lot quicker than Chelsea were able to. Whereas I think, you know, after that first five minutes, Chelsea got a bit on top, then Arsenal got a bit on top. And then, yeah, I guess the Sophie Ingle goal felt like, all right, we're ahead here. Like, let's just kind of keep our heads. And... Aside from like Caitlin Ford rattling Neve Charles again, I felt like we kind of had it on lock. I have to agree as well with thinking that even though in the second half Arsenal dominated a lot of it after Sam Kerr's goal, I can't really remember any of those chances being ones where I thought, oh, that was close. Like I was generally on my laptop typing thinking, oh, there's another another one in they to were AKB's just hands. taking, yeah, like pot shots at AKB. And then I saw people afterwards being like, look, Arsenal had like eight shots on target and Chelsea only had three. And I'm like, 
It doesn't. It's <laughs> this it, is the importance of expected goals. Like it doesn't really. If you're just taking shots from outside the area that are like quite soft, it's not. They're not good chances. Yeah, it's the value of those chances, right? And I feel like the overall opinion, certainly in the media room afterwards, and I think amongst most Chelsea fans, most Arsenal fans, sorry, was well, look, Chelsea were clinical and Arsenal weren't, and I feel like Chelsea have had those patterns a lot of this season is that's the difference between Chelsea and most of the rest of the WSL is because they are consecutive champions for the last three seasons they have a squad the majority have been together for a very long time and they've had Emma Hayes there for a very long time and they've got some of the best players in the world they get the job done when they need to and when they're not playing very well and we've talked about a lot on the show this season Jilly what did you think of that I mean because there's I guess there's two there's two parties it seems maybe those who watched it on TV and felt like wow it was a massive missed opportunity for Arsenal but I don't think it was like that game at the Emirates where I think Arsenal really threw that away and didn't capitalize on their on their pressure but you were there also so what what how did you see this one I didn't really feel like that I was ever convinced Arsenal were in it mm-hmm. like to be honest with you I just I mean obviously I was sitting um surrounded by Arsenal um top dogs but <laughs> like, I just didn't I mean obviously Arsenal went through a couple of times and that but it was never convincing mm. um, I think they was poor in possession and it was just sort of like like they was maybe nervous playing out from the back because they was playing out from the back and there was I felt sorry for the centre backs because there was zero movement in front the only person who really wants to get the ball is Kim but there's only so much she can do but it's just sort of seemed like as soon as their centre backs Leo and got the ball Everyone just run away. Um, and it was just like, then and there was times when Leah just stopped on the ball and it was like, she was sitting, standing there for about five, ten seconds. That second, the second goal the, the, that Chelsea scored, the Sam Kerr goal, right? Leah Williamson stops with Sam Kerr in front of her before she plays it back to Zinsberger. Five seconds, she's just standing with the ball at her feet and I thought, it was a free kick or something, but actually, I think she was yeah, just stopped. She was, was just stopped, yeah. and Sam Kerr it's wasn't like really that pressuring meme her. Where it's like my man froze. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think Leah Volti may have been like filling with her boots or something, but I still think Sam Kerr was consciously deciding not to press, and they chose, and Arsenal were just kind of sitting with the ball, not doing anything. I thought, God, the urgency, the intensity is so lacking right now in that team. Yeah, like when Chelsea got the ball and they moved the ball around the back, there's there's pace on the passes, you know, there's like urgency, there's tempo, like. Arsenal is not, it's so flat. And for me, it just, I looked at it as that probably seemed like the easiest game that Chelsea potentially have had against Arsenal in that sense. Like it was just, I don't know, there was, I just was never fully convinced that Arsenal were, I think they looked dangerous at times on the counter, but then set pieces I thought were poor, like players not even been able to get it past the first person on a set piece. Um, but yeah, for me, it was, well, Chelsea were the deserved winners. Yeah, there's two real chances that Arsenal had. Frieden Marman won in the literal first minute of the game. And then that chance when Black Stenius is played through, I think, by Marnham. And she's one-on-one with AKB and puts it over the bar. And there were just general groans around the whole stadium because everyone knew what that chance meant because of everything around Black Stenius, because of everything around the whole Alessia Russo situation as well. Because there's been, you know, conversations from the club that she wasn't offered as part of the deal. The players said she wasn't offered, but we've still got all these pretty reliable reports that she was. Just the overall vibes there are just so awful to watch. And you just knew as soon as she was played through, it's like, 
of all the people this chance is going to fall to, I kind of didn't want it to be her because the confidence is so visibly rock bottom right now. And then you see it go... I mean, Jessie, you were obviously sitting the opposite end, but when you saw her play through, did you think she's not scoring well, that? Well, because that's what's funny as well because obviously I was almost directly behind it. So it's one of those things where you almost see how big the goal looks. looks. Yeah. And then me and Ed just watched them all go, Whoa. and I was like, how's she done that? I like, But the thing is, though, I will also say, what amazes me about Arsenal is how little plan there seems to be when they do get the ball in dangerous areas, like even with Steiner. Like, there were points where, you know, Caitlin Ford was was getting down the flanks and then she's looking to to play a cutback or, or like I don't know what she's looking to do she's just she gets she's stuck half almost. shooting she's half just trying to put the ball into a dangerous area but then there were just Chelsea defenders there and then there were like cutbacks that she could have but she's not it, it felt like it feels too easy just to be like Stephen Blacksenius isn't a clinical player because I just feel like it extends to all of Arsenal's attacking play that it's it's not clear what they're supposed to be doing or or who's supposed to be doing it. And, you know, even the fact that, yeah, there was that five minutes just before half time where like twice Caitlin Ford got the better of Neve Charles, as we saw at the Emirates. And I'm thinking, oh, like, I wonder if Emma will make a change at, at half time because that feels like something where Arsenal could, you know, really get at us in the second half. Second half starts, Caitlin Ford's ba- back playing up against Steve Perisette. Not because Chelsea had made the change. Because Arsenal hadn't switched her flank. And I was like, did they just not, like, did Jonas not watch the same five minutes as me? Like, that was the most attacking joy they'd got. And then I didn't understand why they didn't pursue that. Because for me, Caitlin was like the most active Arsenal attacker. And I felt like if something good was going to happen for them, it was going to come through her. But it just felt like they didn't want to use her. They were just constantly playing through the middle. I thought Sophie Ingle and Aaron Cuthbert had a really good game, but. In some ways, it was quite easy for them too because the ball was just coming like straight through mm-hmm. to them all the time. They just had to like step in and, and do the basics basically to disrupt play. And I think we talked about that after the West Ham game, didn't we? Because across, I did the maths yesterday for the piece I was writing, across the Chelsea game, the West Ham game and the game yesterday, it's like 40-something shots in total for Arsenal, right? But we talked about after that West Ham game that they could have been there all goddamn night and they wouldn't have scored a goal. It's this is it's just like you're saying, Jesse. It's like there is no real clear plan. It seems of with the ball we're gonna get, which in some of these games has been like a decent amount, and the opportunities that might come up when we do exploit weaknesses in the opposition. It just there doesn't seem to be anything that really makes you think. Okay, this is how they're going to score. There's been. Not many goals from open play. Kim Little gets that penalty at the Emirates and they man- managed to miss a whole load of chances. Against City in the Cup, there were quite a few chances that came their way as well. They're really lacking that kind of cutting edge in the whole attacking line. I think fans are also being quite sympathetic to Black Stenius in that sense. Like I don't see a lot of people putting too much responsibility on her because I think they know that there are a lot of players right now who are not necessarily playing at their peak but I personally feel like this is kind of also why I focused my piece yesterday is I think particularly in these last two games the FA Cup game and the WSL game against City but also there were pockets of of this throughout the season United at the Emirates for sure Arsenal's defence have not looked comfortable and Zinsberger looks very low uh, on confidence and nervy at the moment and so 
the whole conversation saying, oh, it's just, you know, Arsenal not being clinical and that's the tale of the tape. I just don't think it's the right story. And I think if I was an Arsenal fan, I would be concerned about how things are looking across the whole of the team and how, like you said, Julie, like players just don't seem to want it, which seems like the most basic assessment. But I feel like you, it's not so hard to see, especially when you're watching a game in the flesh, to look at players and think, you look so long, low on confidence. And there was a point when that second goal went in, Sam Kerr's goal, where Zinsberger, Williamson and Rafael Souza had a kind of little, you know, conflab, a little meeting afterwards. And there was lots of, you know, like arms outstretched, hands on your hips. Williamson called Veenroy Throver, had a chat and just thought, I just don't see how you're getting out of this situation. When you've got two players like Williamson and Souza who... They played without at points this season because of injury and are two very experienced international footballers who are at the heart of this back line. And we've seen some of the individual errors that that team has made across the last two games. Jilly, we're going back to defender's corner again, but would you be concerned if you were in that team about how that defence is looking right now? Yeah, because I I even said Jesse, like in possession, I've never seen... I don't think I've seen Arsenal. I mean, like they was poor against Man City in possession, but in the flesh, like players who obviously I went to the the England game um, against Belgium. Like obviously I know it's a different you're playing against a different team and a different setup and all this, but obviously looking at Leah Williamson on the ball against Belgium compared to then on the ball yesterday, like several times in the first half and consecutive passes as well not just like one every five or six passes like one after the other Mm. straight to the Chelsea player straight to the Chelsea player and it was just like go back to go back to basics yeah if I'm when I was playing if I messed up and lost a pass the next one I have to make so if that's a five yard pass to my fullback that's the five yard pass I'm going to do for my own confidence but it just seems like there's no when I was at Arsenal you had the leaders that were there yeah you know, obviously had like Jane Ludlow, for example, in the middle, right? Who would tell you to your face, that's not good enough. Like she screamed at me once because I let the ball bounce and I never let the ball bounce after that <laughs> game because I thought I was going to get it around, like, around the neck. But there's not that. Like you ain't got to be screaming and shouting, but you need the presence in there to be saying, listen, this not pointing fingers and going, it's not you. But the thing is, how can the flip side of that is how can a player do that if their own performance isn't where it should be. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like I found that being captain, I felt like sometimes how can I point the finger and say to someone, listen, it needs to be better if I know my own house ain't in order. <laughs> um, so it's sort of like that, Like, but I just feel like that, that pri- the pride of not letting shots happen and just being that nitty gritty. Like I don't, n- not that I don't feel I've got that, but like that, a Katie McCabe, who you know is going to stick a foot in. Mm. I feel like you need someone like that in defence. Well, that's what, we th- I th- that's what we saw a little bit more of in that City game in the Conti Cup. We did see a little bit more fight and grit, which is what they needed. But then they play City in the league and that complete disappears. And then McCabe did start yesterday, but they were really lacking a bit of that nastiness. There wasn't really a leader, like you say, Jilly. And I think the communication has been an issue for them all season in that back line. Like, they don't n- never really look that comfortable defending set pieces, even though they've got big players in there. And I think against City and yesterday, the the communication, the lack of communication really came to a head because we that City game, those mistakes that they make there, like that is so clearly from a back line that don't feel comfortable playing with each other. And he had made changes for that game. And also a goalkeeper who doesn't seem to be commanding her box in, a, you know, in the way that she needs to. And then yesterday it seemed like more of the same. It's like 
Lauren James, right now, one of the best players in the world, like playing some of the best football she's ever played. Everyone's talking about her. You can't know, like everyone is focused on her, right? So if you're Jonas Adeva, you probably think, quite someone we need to shut down early on. And the time and space that she gets to pick out the pass that then gets played to Sophie Ingle, who has quite a lot of time to pick out her shot. She's not pressed particularly quickly. And when Jonas Edeval arrived and they win that game at the Emirates, there was so much discussion about like Arsenal looked like such a good, high-intensity pressing team. You know, how, how are they going to be able to keep that up for the whole entire season? How are they going to have that fitness? But Jesse, right now it's like that just doesn't exist because they are giving players like very good players who are going to punish them ample time and space. Yeah, I mean, I think the Lauren James thing is tough because Lauren James, if she gets away from her marker, she's always going to find that space and she's obviously so good on the ball right now. And I think Jonas was wary of falling into the trap that I think Emma Hayes is kind of trying to set where I feel like she's waiting for people to start doubling up on Lauren James and all that will do is open up space elsewhere. And I think Arsenal were very, felt very focused on on shutting down like Guru Wrighton, for example, uh, and trying to close off that space on, on, the, on Chelsea's left. Um, so I, I do think that's that's like a tricky thing to deal with. But I agree, Sophie Ingle like, should never have had that much time. And I think Sinsberg should probably should have done better with the shot anyway. Um, I think the other thing, though, that the problem Arsenal have with playing Chelsea is that I just don't think they believe that they can beat Chelsea right now. Like, you talk about that Emirates game, but Chelsea and Arsenal have played five times since then and Arsenal haven't won since. And that Emirates game has so many caveats around it as well. Um, and the the streak of not winning extends, you know, that's like one high point in a very, very long set of games where Emma Hayes has just kind of shown that she can get the better of whatever team Arsenal put out, whatever manager they've got. And and I think that was the thing that really struck me yesterday after the Sam Kerr goal. Like if if that had been the other way around and Arsenal had gone 2-0 up, what I would have expected from Chelsea was just like relentless push. You, you've you got half an hour and you need one goal to like just get back into it. And then, you know, who knows what can happen? Like it's a cup tie as well. You only need to get it like get an equaliser to get another half hour to play, to get penalties potentially. And it just felt like as soon as it was 2-0, Arsenal were like, it's not going to happen for us. And also you look at their bench, Jesse, and you think two players for the future, Pulover and Cool, they're not game changers right now, I don't think. A very young um, player and Aggie man on the bench who, you know, absolutely thriving at academy level, like, basically just breathes and scores a goal, but has scored one senior goal, I think, in, against Leeds. But it Leeds. was against Leeds. It was United. against Leeds. <laughs> but you know, only got a first senior appearance this season. So you look at that that bench, you know, I'm not looking at anyone who's going to come on got, and change the game. But you've got Gio Kieros on that bench, who's played at a really high level in the past, who everyone says is like amazing, didn't go on international break. She's been she at was playing well at Everton as well for, for 10 days. And she's not coming on at all. And that's a player who you're like, well, you could put her as a nine. You could put her on the wing. You could just get her to to run at Chelsea. This is a team where everyone's just come back from international breaks. Everyone's going to be tiring. You've got this player who's surely like one of your freshest players because she didn't go away. And you're not using her at all. And I mean, maybe there's been a lot of 
talk about like her fitness and like how kind of prepared and her TikTok she streams. is and her TikTok <laughs> streams and you know but they brought her back from Everton for a reason. For a reason. Yeah, why, why would you bring her back if you weren't going to play her? That, that was quite strange. And you're down just like, I don't know, just... Have a I throw of the dice. To like, yeah, I wanted them just to go for it and say, fuck it, like, what have we got to lose here? And that's the thing, because right now, Arsenal have quite a lot to lose, so you might as well just go for it. They are now out of the cup, FA Cup. They're pretty much out of the title race. They've now got a game on Sunday for the Conti Cup against, what, Chelsea again. So it's like, you've got to go for it at some point. You've got to risk it all to try and not have yet another season without a trophy because Gilly, as someone who's played at Arsenal Football, Football Club, like quite simply and plainly, like that is not good enough for a team of that stature with that investment as well. Yeah, it's just the, the standards that you expect. But it's just what, like Arsenal, they're not the same team as like when I was there in the sense of the that mentality side of it. Like it's just, oh no, obviously when the, there's a large chunk of us that all left and sort of that sort of um, started the, I don't know, no, that sort of started the struggles for Arsenal. I think when the when the core chunk when left. When Jilly left. Basically, when I left <laughs> and then seven the others followed me. Um, <laughs> the great exodus of 2015 is what we call it. But it's, you had players playing for the club who loved the club, who would fight for the club. And through the toughest time, we knew what was expected as a bare minimum. And it's like, I know obviously the league's changing and there's a lot more international players coming over now, but it's the history of Arsenal. Like, one of the most successful women's teams ever. Do you know what I mean? And it's just, that's not going to be lost, but it's just getting going back to base again and getting players in the team who, who want to fight for the shirt and who understand the history side of it. But I know obviously the game's moved on a lot, but you look at uh, Chelsea, like obviously they've moved on, but it's just sort of with Chelsea, I said yesterday that there's just, they just seem a level above mm. everyone else. And they don't even need to really come out of third gear. No, like I still... I, I, I can't... There's only a couple games where I've watched Chelsea and Jesse, you'll know as well, having like, you know, been at pretty much most of their home games this season. I can only think of a handful of games where I feel like this is Chelsea at their peak this season. I feel like they haven't really touched it yet because in a lot of these games, they're not really having to. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I definitely think there have been points where Chelsea have struggled this season, but I agree. I think there's still more to come and I think... They've got this crazy run and I think it's almost good that they've got this crazy run of like ridiculous games like heading into the Lyon game to kind of maybe push them to to find that extra level. Um, but yeah, it definitely feels like I think right now that games are being won without hitting, you know, the like top, top heights that, that need to be hit. And Jonas Alaba was asked after the game about... His the very poor record against Chelsea that you mentioned, Jesse. And I always think when you look at a manager that's under pressure, when they very much focus on performances rather than results, even though Jonas Vell does reference the 9-0 win over Leeds United quite frequently. But when he was asked about the, the record against Chelsea, he very much just focused on the performances against Chelsea. And he said that he thinks they're getting closer to being able to get one over them and finally beat them. Um, but I don't know, Jilly, if you feel like that gap is getting further or they are getting closer to actually overcoming their biggest nemesis. Yeah, like I feel like watching it yesterday like, and you compare the 
game with City, I feel like City would have given Chelsea a much better game yesterday. Like I feel City are closer to Chelsea than what Arsenal are. Um, but this is what I think, like, they're getting closer to getting a result. That shouldn't be having Arsenal manager should yeah. be talking. Like, it was all, Arsenal was always better than Chelsea. Do you know what I mean? And then obviously then we all left. But <laughs> it was, you would never have no, an right. Arsenal player even dream of saying at the time, oh yeah, we're like, we're getting closer to beating Chelsea. We would go out there and go, we are going to beat Chelsea today. And it's the same when I was at Chelsea. It'd be sort of obviously Chelsea would say, we're going to go and beat Arsenal. But the games were never easy. But you'd never have any of other Arsenal managers go out there and go, we're getting closer to getting one over them. That's just not expected from Arsenal. Emma Hayes rent free in your Saddleville's head, man. I think that FA Cup final changed everything, though. Like, I, was... I, I just think that whole game was just... Like I was collapse. I was thinking about the opposite. Well, not the opposite, but I was thinking actually, I was doing a kind of sort of like sliding doors moment in my head. That knee slide at the Emirates and the knock-on effects of when Jonas Alvaro touched that grass <laughs> because it's never been the same since for Arsenal, really. Emma Hayes said never. Emma Hayes again. said not on my watch, honey. <laughs> Don't you disrespect me on the first game of the season. So. Arsenal, record winners of the FA Cup, 14 times. Now haven't won one since 2016. That's a long old time for a so competition. Was it? Yeah. yeah for, a comp- <laughs> for, for a competition that was your bread and butter. No one could touch you. So, yeah, still they go on and wait f- uh, for a trophy since that 18-19 WSL title. But they haven't got to wait long because on Sunday they're going to be playing Chelsea in the Conti Cup at Sellers Park so we'll see what happens there but it's a big one to come back from but one player we really do need to talk about is the one and only Sam Kerr Jessie Sam Kerr she played in all of Australia's games on the international break she started all of them she did come off I think in most of them but she started all of them so she would have had at least 24 hours travelling on a plane either side. Obviously, Chelsea did have that weekend off before the break because they didn't play in that that middle round of games. But she then has to come back and play for Chelsea because there aren't any options. And she does the business again. And Emma Hayes referenced in her post-match that she just doesn't get tired. She's not a player who comes back after the international break and says, oh, I'm feeling jet lagged or whatever. I mean, she doesn't really have a choice right now, but she still gets the job done. And in her 100th game, she gets what we think is her 82nd goal for Chelsea. Yeah, I feel like the West Stand fans sang it best. Even with jet lag, she's better than you. You know, I thought they were saying <laughs> even with jetpacks, and I thought jetpacks. <laughs> What's this to do with jetpacks? Um, yeah, it is. It is 82 goals, even though the Chelsea admin for some reason thinks so, it's 78. Chelsea, the club thought it was 78. I, Jesse was, had, you'd been counting in, in lead up to this. <laughs> oh I've no, a calendar. Tally. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You've got a little tally that you keep, but you'd it's been counting face, recently because you'd been looking into it and you were pretty sure it was 82. Why Scout was showing uh, a different sort of number if you included the goal yesterday, I think 83. So I'm going to trust Jesse on this because 
you are very good stato, so I trust you. And I will also shout out Harry Edwards, who's a, a Chelsea fan and does a lot of Chelsea stats on Twitter as well, and he agrees with me as well. Okay. So that made that was when I was like, if Harry thinks it too, then there's basically some kind of hat trick missing there along the way, like a Conte maybe Cup the one group against game. West Ham, <laughs> yeah, or, or or the West Ham game. But anyway, eighty two goals we think. But anyone anyone who works in women's football or cup follows it will know it's impossible to have accurate stats in this game because no one really counts them. Anyway. It's a lot of goals. She's good at scoring she's, them. But the point is, she's good at scoring goals. 82 in 100 games is ridiculous. And there's been so much discussion, Jesse, ever since she arrived in the WSL, but also especially this season, about Sam Kerr maybe not being her best, about the fact that she missed chances when she first came. But the point remains that really when Chelsea kind of need her most, she does deliver the goods. Yeah, I think she's really shown herself increasingly to be a big game player. And I think especially against Arsenal, she loves she scoring loves it. against Arsenal. Um, but they are the games where, you know, it feels like she steps up. Um, I think, you know, sometimes it feels like she needs a couple of chances. But the point is, is that her movement and the position she gets herself in allows her to have a couple of those chances. And I mean, to be fair, yesterday, that one was pretty much the only one she got. It was a lovely little finish as well, like that little chip she does um, to just get it over like a goalie's legs. Um, but for me right now, she's the best striker in the world. Like, I can't think of a striker I'd prefer to have in my team. Yeah, she had a slow start to the season maybe, but she's on 21 goals for the season. So if that's my slow striker, I'll take it all day. Jilly, tell us about what it's like as well to play against a player like Sam Kerr. Oh, it's so difficult because she's obviously, you know how clinical she is, so you try and reduce that, but you, you can never contend with her in the air. I mean, this year, obviously at Liverpool, me and Neve tried to swap because... She was struggling. I then went there. I struggled. So I was like, I'm going back out, man. I'm going back out on the other side. Um, but she is. She is like, you know, there is, she does need a, potentially a couple of chances, but you sort of think, oh, well, like she's she's missed one or whatever. That's it. Like we'll try and be tighter, but she finds a way. Uh, I think her movement is so good. I mean, watching the Liverpool, the FA Cup game, her movement with the defender, she went in with Neve and it has Neve Charles crossed in. She like, checks the way from Neve and obviously fantastic volley in but as a defender is so difficult to mark her she's such a presence um, and she's not just someone who just stays central she like floats around she comes to the pocket um, she drags you out she gets involved she's not just really like a stubborn nine that just sort of stays but she's in fine form but I would just say from Chelsea's point of view if you if they don't have someone to sort of replace her with or do you know what I mean it, you've got to look after her but also I think with Chelsea it's about getting the, the game done early doors and then getting her off mm. do you know what I mean when you are 2-3-0 get her off and save her because you'd rather her start the game and did she come off yesterday? no no. And that's, that's what I think you just got to look after I, her yeah that's yeah. But, but maybe we'll see Millie Bright <laughs> play as the night. yeah you never know and I suppose there is that thing about the Champions League, Jesse, about whether, you know, is that is, that's obviously still such a target for this team because it's the one they haven't won. But how is Emma going to manage that squad and manage everything else that's going on? It, it is, is going to be, yeah, the ultimate, ultimate question. But Conti Cup round the corner. Sam Kerr had a hat trick in that game at Vicarage Road against Bristol. She get four goals actually in that game, was it a hat trick? Can't remember. But she got a lot. She, she got a lot. Didn't she? She backflipped. She gave the people what they wanted. So 
I'm sure. There were no people there. <laughs> oh, yeah, true. <laughs> it was just us. <laughs> oh, my God, yeah, there wasn't, was there? Weird, yeah. That's why I'll never forget hearing Marami Elder's... Uh, Yelp. Sc- Yelp. Oh, that was round. Horrible, yeah. Well, she gave the TV viewers what they wanted. <laughs> and, yeah, I'm sure everyone can bet that she is going to deliver something very box office on Sunday in the Conti Cup final. But the last thing we need to talk about on today's show is the situation with the French women's national team because out of nowhere on Thursday, Friday, Jesse, was it? Was it Friday? I think it might have been Friday. It's all a blur now. But out of nowhere, well, sort of out of nowhere, we'll get into it. But Randy Renard last week uh, put a post up on social media saying, and Jesse's our French translator today, <laughs> but essentially saying... I've always given everything for France and for for the shirt, but to protect my mental health, I can't do this anymore and I will no longer be playing for the French national team kind of indef- indefinitely under these circumstances. Then quite quickly, her teammates, Kadaduti Diani, for like that pronunciation, I've been really practicing that one, and Marie Antoinette Katoto post quite a similar statement kind of in solidarity and support obviously three of France's bigger players now the context around this surrounds the head coach Karine Diacra who ever since she came in really has been a sticking point for lots of players and there's various reports and stories that players themselves have shared but other journalists around her tenure and how you know lots of players feel like she doesn't create the most welcoming or successful environment and there's a you know a toxic culture there so this is kind of all a, a runoff of that Jesse but what it seems like really is that they are obviously hoping that the three of them protesting in this way will lead to the FFF the French Football Federation either intervening and removing Diacra or Diacra herself resigning do you think there's a chance that they could pull this off um, I mean, I think what's kind of the the kind of complicated context around this is that Noel Legrette, who's like the head of the, the French Football Federation, he's also kind of earmarked to go because, uh, to put it simply, he's just not a very nice person. Um, and he's kind of been the person who's always backed Diacra because as much as, you know, this new wave of um, players kind of objecting to her... It is important in terms of who they are. This isn't the first, you know, kind of fallings out by any means. Like she'd previously stripped Renard of the captaincy and then given it back to her. She's fallen out with Amandine Henri, with Eugenie Le Sommer. Sarah Bouhadi said she wouldn't play for France anymore while Diac was there. Henri and Le Sommer, I don't think ever said specifically, but like Diac basically decided not to call them up anymore because she she doesn't like them. Um, All of this was kind of behind the in the it was all around like the 2019 World Cup where lots of this stuff came to head and like Henri and Samara had been in the team they did like go to the World Cup but at the time Kototo wasn't selected which she referenced in her statement um, which was a real surprise given the form she was in obviously we know France lost to the USA and it was all a bit of a disappointment um, then you kind of had the Euros where, you know, Diacra did take France further than they'd ever been taken before. But now we've got all of this stuff as well. And I think it's really interesting to see someone like Katoto, who's not even like currently fit, be like, I don't want any part of it. Diani's obviously a massive loss. And I think what's interesting is before, this has kind of been characterised as a Lyon versus the French Federation type 
battle because it's been a lot of Lyon players, obviously, who've come out in the past. And so to have Paris Saint-Germain players as well uh, kind of speak out, I do think adds some force because there's always been this kind of sense that maybe the Lyon team see themselves as being like above France. It was interesting. The French Federation's statement about it was like a reminder that no one's above the France national team. Um, So yeah, I think Diacre's future will depend a lot on Le Great's future and what happens with the, the French Federation. I will say that they've backed Diacre nonstop Bef- like even with all of the other stuff that's gone on before, this is like by no means um, a new or surprising thing. And, you know, we only have to look in at Spain and the stuff with Jorge Vilda to see that, you know, federations at the moment have no qualms seemingly with letting their very best players miss out on some of the pinnacles of their career for the sake of backing a manager, which is just extraordinary to me. Um Diacra as well, like she she's very well known as being, um, I think, the woman who's managed at the highest level because she managed Clermont Foot um, in, in the in Division 2 in France. And um, but the players she managed there, the guys, they said she was like a dictator then. And, you know, like some of the quotes that's come out from the players before, I think is like Amandine Henri, who was like, at the World Cup, players would just sit in their rooms crying. Yes, it, it, there, there were lots. So there's, because there's been multiple players who have spoken out and we've never seen them play for France again, Amandine Henri being one of them. But even as early on in her tenure as 2017, when Renard got quite quickly stripped of the captaincy because Diacre said that, it was a distraction and taking too much of her energy being captain. It's almost like from quite early on until now, these issues were there. But like you say, Jesse, it's been so hard for players to use their power, perhaps always because there's only been a sprinkling of them. Whereas, you know, Le Sommet, Henri, Renard, players being sort of temporarily phased out. But now with all of that group and others being out of it, Surely, I don't know. I mean, because Spain, they had success in 2015, right? Uh, um, a protest led by the captain at the time, Vera Baquet. I think it was around 15 players or so. And they did manage to enact change after a coach had been there for nearly 30 years, I think. And they felt like it was a toxic environment, among other things. And they did get success, but... Vero never played for Spain again. Lots of other players in that group never played for Spain again. But that feels like, in my mind, one of the few times where there's been a success in in that area. And I feel like, you know, part of it is around the systems that we have in Europe compared to USA and North America, where, you know, there aren't CBA agreements and things like that. And players kind of do have less collective power. But for the sake of... Uh, you know, like you say, letting players just kind of like rot in the peak of their careers, literally months away from World Cup just seems completely ridiculous. But I just feel like this example, to me, feels like the most powerful we've seen in a while. Because I I, I mean, when Spain did their collective action, I thought maybe that would lead to Vilder's exit, but he had just signed a new deal. But also a lot of that was along sort of like Barcelona, Real Madrid lines as well. And there was that whole sort of thing in the background. But like you say, the fact that now it's PSG and Lyon, it it just feels different to me, but maybe I'm just being a little bit optimistic. But I mean, I don't know. I think Diacra could go, but I could also see her staying. I just think all of this stuff comes down to what 
the people running the federations feel like, basically. And I think that's what's so frustrating about it. And I feel like it's going to be almost the focus of the World Cup, that we're going to go into this World Cup, where by France are having to protest their manager, Spain are protesting their manager, Canada are protesting their federation, Jamaica have been treated rubbish by their federation, Haiti have had problems with their federation, Chile, who aren't even going to be at the World Cup, but had Christiana Endler, you know, talking about the issues they've had. And I mean, they then sacked their manager, but... Japan. Japan as well. So... It feels like it's just incessant, this you know constant mistreatment of, of players by their own nations. And I think what is so infuriating about that is that increasingly with the, you know, greater attention on women's football, it almost feels like there's these incentives for federations to kind of pat themselves on the back and make themselves look good because they have all these talented women playing football for them and then they just show with the other hand that they don't give a shit. And it's just like absolutely mind-boggling to me that basically a load of men's egos are so fragile that if a group of women tell them that the decisions they have made are poor, their response is to just... Double down. Double down, like stick their heels in and be like, no, fuck you, you miss out because we won't say we were wrong. And that to me is just disgusting. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Jilly, as someone who's obviously been in the game a very long time and you know, I know on a on previous episode you spoke about a situation while you're at West Ham that, you know, when when play when you as a group were like pushing towards maybe doing some kind of collective protest, but you know, you've seen some shit through the years. So, <laughs> how do that's you, just on the pitch. That's just on the pitch. How do you deal with that as a player as well, having to go through that? Because, you know, you want to play at World Cups. You don't want to miss out on that because of a head coach. But these players obviously feel like, or, or because of a federation, these, these players obviously feel like, you know, they, they have to do something. And if that means missing up on a lifelong dream of playing a World Cup, it means missing out on a World Cup. Yeah, I just think it's really sad. And I think, like, when obviously the reports of them at the World Cup or whatever it was, the names in the bedrooms crying and that, like, it's it's heartbreaking for a player because the player, players, what they want to do is play football. Yeah, all the other stuff that comes with it is a bonus, all the commercial, the media side of it. But at the end of the day, all they want to do is play football and playing at the, the top part of the game, i.e. the tournaments uh, for their country, means everything. So for me, it's just like... The team has to come first. That should be from the federation. It should be the team is their priority. Um, so I can understand if, for example, you might get the odd person who might not get picked and they think, oh, do you know, I'm going to kick up a fuss about something because I've not been selected. But when you're getting more than one player come to you about something or someone and players that have played at the top end of the game and have got untold amount of caps, you know, your captain coming to you and saying, this is a problem... For me, that speaks volumes and so needs to be listened to and she needs to be heard. But, I mean, I've not heard great things about the manager anyway. She comes across very stern, very, like, no mess is happening. Do you know what I mean? Underneath me. But reports, obviously, like, um, from people big in the game, like analysis and all like that, who say that there's, within the camp, there's they're not happy in that. But it takes players to stand up and say, this is not good enough, this is what we expect. And... I don't think the answer is to clear out the whole team and bring other people in because you you will have younger players or players who are not in the squad who might think this is my chance mm. now and I'm going to just suffer it. But players' mental health has to come first. And like I said before, when it was about Canada, 
it takes is someone brave to stand up and say this is not good enough and we're not accepting it. Yeah, there's been no update on the situation with Canada and their dispute with their federation that sort of blew up around the She Believes Cup. We will keep our eyes peeled on that, as well as bringing you updates, of course, around the situation with Corinne Diacre and her position, Wendy Renard and her teammates, as well as the French Football Federation. But for now, we will leave you, we'll see you again on Thursday's show. Thanks for listening. Listener.